My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board certified construction attorney here in the state of Florida. And today we're going to talk about the three contract terms that should not be in your next contract. So on today's agenda, we're going to talk first about why your contract matters. Um, and then we're going to talk about the three specific items that shouldn't be in your contract. Uh, one is not having the right to stop work. Um, two is a very short and effectively no opportunity to cure provision. And three is um, an obligation to accelerate your work without compensation. All right, so let's first explain why your contract matters. Um, it is the rule book. It is where everyone is going to go when there is a dispute about uh, how to handle a change order, um, what to do if there's a conflict in the field, how to deal with uh, schedule issues. All of those things should be in your contract. And if you have a written agreement, um, usually all of those terms and conditions and the details are ignored except when there's a dispute. And when there's a dispute, someone's gonna open a drawer, um, take out the contract, and they're gonna start pointing to provisions, uh, outlining who has what obligation to whom. And that, that rule book, this contract, is gonna become very important when there is a dispute. Now, in the worst case scenario, if this dispute were to um, escalate all the way into a legal dispute where people are suing each other, just know that the court, the judge, the jury is almost always going to use the contract as the controlling rule and outcome of the dispute. So um, if we have to go to court, and the contract says that all change orders have to be in writing, and you wanna argue that there's a change order that's not in writing, and therefore, uh, even though it doesn't comply with the contract, it should be paid, that's gonna be an uphill battle because the judge and the jury is gonna like to just apply the simple rules that the parties agreed to in writing in their contract. So remember, um, this contract is gonna become very, very important um, and is very important if there is ever a dispute. So let's talk about uh, the first of three provisions that in my 20 years of experience, I would tell you um, is probably one of the most dangerous provisions in a contract. Now, most of the provisions that I'm gonna show you, or I, sh I should say all of the provisions I'm gonna show you are from the uh, perspective of the subcontractor meaning these are typical subcontract provisions, but just know that I've seen provisions like this between owners and contractors and between subcontractors and sub-subcontractors. So it doesn't really matter where you are on the chain of contracts. The issue is what matters most. People ask me, clients ask me, they say, Alex, look, I've got this 10, 15, 20 page contract. I really want to do the work. You know, tell me what are the top two or three items that are the things that you would change. And that's really what this pres presentation is, is premised on. And by far, the number one item I would change 
is this one, not having the right to stop work if you're not getting paid. So here is a sample provision of what it looks like. I've seen them in many different forms, but this is a good example. Subcontractor shall diligently proceed with the work during any dispute, even as it relates to payment or changes. The existence of a dispute shall not be the grounds for any failure to perform by subcontractor. So what does this mean? This means that if you're not getting paid on the construction project, um, if they're not approving your change orders, you have to follow the dispute resolution process that's in the agreement, which typically is something like a meeting of the principles. And then if that doesn't work, maybe a mediation. And if that doesn't work, either arbitration, which is like a private court or litigation, which is the court that you see on TV. Um, the problem with that is that it takes time to get to the finish line. And in the process of doing all of that, you have to do what? You have to keep working. You have to keep paying your employees. You have to keep paying your suppliers and delivering material. Um, it is, it, it can really drain your, uh, the cash flow in your business because as, as you are fighting a fight and you may have to have a lawyer involved, so you're paying a lawyer, you're still prosecuting the work because if you fail to prosecute the work, meaning saying, well, if you're not paying me, I'm just going to walk off the job. If you have a provision like this, you technically do not have that right. So how do you deal with it? So here is a sample provision um, that you would put in your agreement, meaning as you negotiate your agreement, um, you would identify the obligation to keep working and you would strike it and add something like this. Subcontractor can slow or stop work without liability or penalty if it has not been paid its draw request in 30 days after submission. Now, let me pause here and tell you that it's not so easy to get the counterparty to your contract to agree to the changes you wanna make. What I can tell you after doing this for a long time is that owners will make more changes than you think, but won't make any changes unless you ask. The same is true for contractors. All contractors will tell their subcontractors, we don't make changes to the agreement. I am here to tell you that for every trade um, on every job, they are in fact making changes. Some changes more than others based on relationships, based on um, the importance of that sub, whether or not they can get another price from someone to do that work, uh, so that they can still fit within their budget, um, you know, availability of men and material. So all of those things go into how much leverage you may have, but don't believe their position or their statement when they say, we, we don't make any changes to our contract. Um, if you don't ask, you won't get. So, as to this specific provision, I will tell you that um, they probably will not agree to 30 days. So maybe it's 45, maybe it's 60, maybe it's 75. What's important is that it's not never. 
there is some point at which if you are no longer being paid, you have the right to stop work. Um, it is generally a pretty reasonable position to take, right? I mean, if you're negotiating with the other side, you're going to tell them, look, this is pretty straightforward. I have bills. I have employees. I have insurance. I have overhead. I have materials I have to buy. If you don't pay me, I cannot keep working. I cannot finance this job. So I need to know that after a certain amount of time, if I'm not being paid, I can stop work. Most people on the other side will tell you, yes, that's reasonable. Let's see how we can negotiate these terms. Um, that being said, I negotiated a million dollar um, appliance package for a supplier recently. And the contractor in the owner's position actually was, um, yes, that's a very reasonable position, but we refuse to accept it. Under no circumstances can you stop working, even if you're not being paid. So the client at that point had to make a business decision on whether or not they were going to uh, continue with the contract. They ultimately decided to continue with the contract and uh, accept that risk. What's important though, is that they did it clearly uh, with their eyes wide open. They, they, they understood that that's a risk that they're gonna take. Um, so um, make sure that you try to include a right to stop work if you are not being paid. Number two, very short notice and no meaningful opportunity to cure. Also, I would say on the top three of the problematic provisions in your contract. So here is a provision so you understand what it looks like. Should some subcontractor violate a provision of this agreement or at any time refuse or neglect to supply a sufficient number of skilled workmen or neglect to supply materials of the proper quality or fail in any respect to prosecute the work with promptness and diligence or fail to repair or remediate defective worker materials or fail in the performance of any of the representations, warranties, or agreements here and contained, contractor shall be entitled to upon one calendar day written notice to subcontractor to provide such proper and suitable labor and materials and to deduct the cost thereof from any money then due or that may thereafter become due to subcontractor under this agreement or at the election of the contractor, terminate the employment of the subcontractor. So what does this mean? This means that if you have a provision like this in your contract, and by the way, this is a pretty standard provision in most um, uh, sophisticated owner contracts, as well as uh, contractor uh, subcontracts with larger subcontractors, uh, contractors. Uh, this says if you do anything wrong within one day, one calendar day, written notice, the contractor can step in, um, deduct amounts due to you, uh, and possibly even terminate you. One calendar day, think about that. That means on a Friday afternoon, when you've got a plan to go out of town, uh, it's a long weekend, you get a written notice at 4.30 in the afternoon, and now you have one calendar day. So effectively, the rest of the day Friday and, and Saturday to remedy the situation. It is unreasonable. So how do you deal with this? Um, obviously, you need to know that that obligation exists in your contract. You need to try to remove it. And here is, in the, here is a provision um, that 
you can use to counter that. Contractor shall provide subcontractor 10 calendar days detailed written notice to cure any performance issue or delay or claim or before any payments are delayed or held back or any amounts are chargeable to subcontractor. What does this mean? This means that if the contractor wants to issue a back charge, they need to send you written detailed notice um, 10 calendar days before they do it. If they want to supplement your forces, same thing. What does this do? This gives you an opportunity, meaningful opportunity, to cure the defect before you get back charged, before you get supplemented, before um, any payments are withheld. Uh, again, it doesn't mean that they won't ultimately have the right to do it, but now you actually have an opportunity to fix the problem rather than giving the contractor effectively a got you to terminate you or to back charge you. And number three, acceleration. So here is a provision that we find in many subcontracts. Subcontractors shall accelerate, decelerate, stop, demobilize, and remobilize its men and materials and the men and materials under its control to maintain the project schedule as amended by the owner, prime contractor, or contractor, all of which shall be included in the agreement price. So that means that you've uh, bid this project, you have a, a method in which you're going to attack the work. Um, maybe you're going to start on the first floor and move up, and then there's going to be a pause, and then you're going to remobilize later after certain work is done. And, you know, you've got it all figured out. The contractor comes in and tells you, no, that's not what we're going to do. I need you to split up your crews into four parts. I need you some to work here, some to work here. And then I need you to demobilize all of your material and then uh, and equipment and then remobilize three times on this project. Well, if that's not the way you bid the job, now this project has become much more expensive to handle. And if you have a provision like this in your contract, that means that any understanding that you have about how you want to attack the work can go out the window at the discretion of the contractor. And you cannot ask for more money. That can be a big problem. So what does a provision look like that would change that? Any and all changes to the, in the schedule or delays caused by those other than subcontractors shall be the subject of a change order entitling subcontractor to additional time and compensation. Um, again, it's not that every version of these provisions that I'm showing you will be accepted. The intent of this presentation is for you to identify the issue recognize that if you do nothing, the most onerous and stringent provision is going to be held against you. So you need to identify it, discuss it with the, the counterparty, whether that's the owner or the contractor or the subcontractor, and try to come to a resolution on how to deal with it. And I have a bonus uh, for you uh, because I see this sometimes as well. Um, another big mistake is not getting it in writing. All agreements ideally should be in writing. This includes, by the way, all of the terms, assumptions, and exceptions, because if they're not in the agreement that you sign, they don't exist. Also of, of significance, if it was in your proposal, but your proposal or quote or bid 
didn't make it into the actual fully executed contract. It doesn't exist either. So you can't say, well, when I submitted my bid, I had a whole list of exceptions. Um, so they knew that that was part of my price. But when I look at your contract, none of those exceptions made it into your contract. Um, well, guess what? Then none of those exceptions are part of your contract and you're gonna have to live with the contract terms that you actually signed. So if there are a list of issues, uh, assumptions, uh, um, exclusions that are critical for your contract, are the basis of why and how you bid what you did, um, you need to identify those and make them part of the actual written agreement that's signed by the parties. We find that having a writing goes a long way at avoiding convenient memories. You know, the, I never agreed to that position that the other side takes, almost always goes away when your written agreement properly states what the parties agreed to. Know that your estimate, your bid, your quote, your proposal, um, those are all contracts. So get them signed, but make sure that you have terms and conditions in them that uh, are important and critical to you. I'll, I'll end with a, a brief story. We represent an electrician. That electrician submitted a bid for about half a million dollars on a renovation of a restaurant um, to uh, our, our client was the sub has a contract with the GC. He submitted a bid. It had terms and conditions and he um, prosecuted about two thirds of the work before the contractor came back and said, okay, well, we need you. You haven't signed our contract yet. Um, so we need you to sign it. He says, well, I don't agree to the terms of your contract. I've already redlined it. I've, I've made changes. You're not accepting my changes. I'm not accepting yours. You've already signed my proposal, which has its own terms and conditions. You've paid me um, for much of the work I've done. I am not signing your contract. And they refused to allow him to continue to work if, they didn't, if he didn't sign their contract. And he came to us and said, what should we do? And we told him, um, unless you agree to their terms, you should not sign their contract. And he says, I don't agree to their terms. So our advice to him was, um, let them terminate you because that termination will be improper. You have good and favorable terms and conditions in your contract, in your proposal that they signed. You have lien and bond rights uh, for the work you've done so far. Um, and that is, my last comment, which is sometimes no agreement is better than a one-sided agreement. So don't feel compelled to always sign the agreement that's given to you because if you don't agree to their terms, you shouldn't sign it. And know that if you do sign it, you will have to live by all of those terms and conditions. Bye, everybody.